otherwise on SAFM. And welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala and my team is Hazel Makuzeni and Albert Klassen on the controls. Today we ask the question, why do women not report rape? In the studio with me is Marion Stevens from WISH and joining us on the phone will be Jen Thorpe from Feminists. They say to participate on the show, you may call us on 082 089, I beg your pardon, 2102010. 089 2102010, or email us at otherwise at safm.co.za. Otherwise, on SAFM. Welcome, Marion. How are you? Hi, Shadow, and uh, thanks for having me, and welcome to you. I'm so excited to be here with you, your first guest. <laughs> And we've we've done this before, you and I, huh? Yes, my first radio interview ever was in 1994, and I was sitting in an office in Johannesburg in Bramfontein, and you were at Metro FM, and we were talking about the 1994 Women's Health Policy Conference, which was so exciting. We were developing 13 new policies around women's health uh, for South Africa. As I remember that. of our democracy. Yes. I was explaining to you about cervical cancer, to domestic violence, to abortion rights. It was a very exciting time. And we still deal with the same issues today. Yes, exactly. Okay. And today is going to be very exciting because you must tell us a bit about WISH as well. But let's just welcome Jen Thorpe from Feminist Essay on the phone. Hello, Jen. Hi, Shadow. Thank you for having me online. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And yourself? Well, you wrote... Marianne as well. <laughs> Well, you wrote a very thought-provoking piece on Thought Leader, yeah. <laughs> how you can tell if someone is a real rape survivor. I mean, I read, I read this this morning on, and, and posted by somebody else who retweeted on Twitter, and it just spoke to exactly what we are talking about today. Can you just give us a, a bit of a background? Because I'm not going to read it all, sure. but I think our listeners need to understand where you come from. I think a lot of the time when a very public rape case is discussed in the media, we have a lot of assumptions that are made about how the woman should have reacted mm-hmm. if we're to believe that she was actually a rape survivor. So when it was the Zuma rape trial, we heard things like, you know, if she was really raped, she wouldn't have stayed behind and accepted taxi money. And again, with Vavi, if she was really raped, maybe she would have screamed louder, why was she at your office, and so on and so forth. And I think these myths are really problematic because they assume that women react in the same way as a rape survivor. And and male rape survivors as well, there's many myths about what they will do. And these myths discourage women from discussing their experience because perhaps they feel that they didn't react in the right way or that nobody will understand their reaction. So what I was trying to get across in my piece is that there are a diversity of reactions to a rape experience that no one person can be expected to react in a particular way and that I don't actually think it's possible to anticipate how you would react if you were raped. But, you know, then we, we have, and you suggest here that, you know, what should a woman do? What should she look like? Um, do the NGOs and other women holding your hands and all these other groups that mm. you need to join and become part of, are they part of a solution or are they the problem? Well, I think the, the main point that I was trying to get across there is that um, that 
reporting in the first place can be an incredibly terrifying experience. Most people don't understand their rights in the justice system. They don't understand how the justice system works at all. They have no idea how long it's going to take and, and whether or not they'll get justice. So saying to somebody, go and report your rape or you should report your rape, puts a lot of pressure on them to and, and gives a false assumption that we're going to get a result out of the justice system that we might not get. Our conviction rates are incredibly low. I know that they report on them and say they're in the 60% range, but that's only of the cases that went to trial. When you compare the number of cases that a conviction's achieved in with the number of cases actually reported to police, that figure sits around 6% and sometimes even less. So it's a terrifying experience. I, th I think the NGOs are definitely not part of the problem because the NGOs are providing a lot of support that many government departments are not providing to rape survivors. And we're hearing a staggering figure of 80% of women not reporting rape, and that's according to, to um, a survey done by MumNet. Mum, Mum but what... How do we encourage, and I want you to come in here, Marion, because, you know, um, mm. you also deal with a, a lot of, of these cases. What are the solutions? Because, you know, I read again today that somebody says, oh, my goodness, you're talking about rape again. It's like talking racism, you know. Mm. It's just a lot of hot air. People must just go and read and familiarize themselves. Is it that simple, Marion? It's not simple. And, I mean, I think that it, it's interesting that you, Compare it to race because I think racism and you know the 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 experience of rape, you know I think that they are vertical issues but they're intersectional. You know one crosses along. It's about an inequality of power. It's about men abusing their power or or you know even male on male rape. But you know Jen's got um, experience within uh, domestic violence NGOs and also um, around the criminal justice. You know, um, systems. My experience comes from a health perspective, mm. and I think that we need to um, look at what what is that thing called rape? What actually happens, and where where's you know what does it mean for different people? And the reality is that for a lot of women, it's a slippery slope, mm. and we start off feeling abused and uncomfortable. And we're not too sure whether to challenge that. We're not too sure whether we should trust our intuition and in instincts. We not, might not have been, in, uh, been raped yet. We might not have experienced that unwanted penetration. But something is happening. It's a slippery slope. And we know that women or bullying, women who experience harassment or bullying, it starts off slowly and then it moves on to, it can move on to something where then, oh my goodness, it's happened did it really happen? Did I really say no or did I not? Well, let's, let's talk about that feeling for a moment because that's, that's usually where the doubt begins. You know, yeah. maybe it didn't happen. Maybe I was hallucinating. Maybe it's not rape. Yeah. Maybe it was something else. What is that feeling? Can anyone describe it so that I can identify it if I go through a rape? I think there's a really interesting um, blog that's happening at the moment that Michelle Solomon started that you might like to have a look at. The website is uh, www.journoactivist.com. Mm -hmm. And Michelle's invited people on Twitter to submit their explanations for why they didn't report rape. And they're incredibly powerful stories of women 
you know, having been in experiences where exactly what Marion describes, it's a slow, pervasive process, and suddenly a, a rape or an assault happens, and they think, perhaps it was my fault, maybe I blame myself, was that actually an, a rape? And I think the stories on Michelle's uh, blog are, are really good at eliciting the types of feelings that women feel and the self-doubt that society places on you. Because remember in the past, there used to be the cautionary rule applied to rape cases where women's testimony testimonies were immediately assumed to be dubious because women were so emotional and we couldn't believe in them. And that's been dispelled in law, but not in public thinking. We still tend not to believe women, and that's probably one of the reasons why women do not report. I just want to invite our listeners here, 082, I beg your pardon, I keep on going 082, 089-210-2010. So 082... I should stop this. 089-210-2010. Uh, would like to take your calls. If you've had the experience and you haven't reported or you know of somebody that didn't report, we'd like to find out why, and hopefully we can get some answers here. But you, you mentioned that it's a slippery slope, there's a bit of doubt. Then what? Then what? What do you do first? Are you able to actually say... I'm in trouble, I need help, where do you go? Who do you confirm your experience with? Can you talk to your family when maybe it might have been a family member? Can you talk to your friends or otherwise maybe you might be associated now as one of those women who are tainted? Mm -hmm. And the, you know what Jane has, Jane has just explained in terms of the cautionary rule, I think you know, has been incredibly detrimental to our consciousness about you know whether even if you know you you are a tainted woman if you have cried mm -hmm. what's a hue and cry Jen you can probably kind of help me here a bit more because I'm not a legal kind of justice person but I want to bring in um, you know you've got to you acknowledge it you also need your health needs are need mm -hmm. to be met do you go to uh, to a health worker you might you probably have not negotiated safer sex so you're at risk for an unwanted pregnancy mm. and you're at risk for STIs including HIV do you you know so that that's my kind of area of expertise and interest and in the fact that you know a lot of our HIV epidemic is a result of, oh. you know, gender-based violence or, you know, these kinds of experiences where you have unequal power relations in negotiating safer sex or you haven't been able to negotiate it. Is it, is it, because I'm looking for solutions here because yes. I think these discussions have been had. Is there a, a, a breakdown of things to do for yourself first? You know, even reporting to make sure that if when you do eventually want to go and report, you've got some sort of evidence. Do you go to the doctors first? Do you keep the clothes? What do you do as you prepare to, to, to go reporting? I think there's a number of steps that you can follow, and what's really useful is Rape Crisis, which is an NGO based in Cape Town, has a mobile site, which is rapecrisis.mobi, and that details what to do if you've been raped and what to do with things like your clothing. But I think what you do first is entirely up to you. Obviously, if it is a rape that's happened very recently, the longer you take to access health services, 
the higher your risk of contracting HIV is. So that health service and that access to post-exposure prophylaxis is really important. It's only effective within um, 72 hours of the of the rape incident. So I think, you know, I think going to a health facility first is a great idea. If you're in a region where there's a Tutu Zela Center, then even better because then you can access all of those services in one spot. But I think if you're uncertain, um, rapecrisis.mobi on your cell phone or rapecrisis.org.za is an excellent place to start in finding out what um, services are available to you and what to do if you've been raped. Let's bring in Lisa Fetton here. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Shada. How are you? Well, thanks. Thank you for joining us. You from the Taranang Legal Centre? No, I am actually studying at the moment, so I'm working as an independent researcher. Oh, okay. Um, I had it on my screen that you're from Taranang. What's your view? On what, to be, on what needs to be done? Yes. No, 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 no. But why women don't, uh, don't report raves? There are a number of reasons. Um, I think, you know, it will depend, for example, on, on age. If you're dealing with a young child, whether a girl or a boy, they may have been sworn to secrecy by the abuser and told not to report what has happened to them. I, mean, I think your both both Jane and Marion have already outlined the kind of confusion mm-hmm. that is sometimes felt in the aftermath of a rape. But I think we've also what you've also got to take into account is very often, you know, with a child or adult, the perpetrator has made threats. If if you go and if you go and tell nobody will believe you, or if you if you say anything, I'm going to I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to you and your family. And I mean that fear can be very, that fear is very real. This person has just raped you and harmed you, so, you know, one is really inclined to believe those sorts of threats. Especially if the rape is to somebody perhaps well-known in the community, they may be attached to a gang or mm. um, may be seen as a fine, upstanding citizen who nobody would believe if this had, if, if this had happened. And I think for, it's such a deeply painful and difficult experience. I think there are a fair number of women who think they would rather just put this behind them and get on with their lives. Because every time, they, every time the police call, or they go to court, or other people know, it brings up all those memories all over again. Hmm. So sometimes keeping quiet and just attempting to move on with your life can be an attempt at coping and trying to, to find a way to um, not allow it to disrupt too much. Please stay on the line for us, because I, I think we need to find a way of destigmatizing rape, you know, like we do with, we, we've done with cancer, we've done with HIV and AIDS. We're going to take a little um, ad break here, and we'll, we'll get back to our guests in a bit. Here in Johannesburg, motorists queue to fill up Petrol their tanks. Price is set to increase by Stay 84. says fuel price increase out the of dollar the exchange rate soars to Rwanda 80. Rwanda agrees to build two oil pipelines for the USSA's biggest source of crude oil. The UAE claims oil prices are fair. In Britain, the petrol price hikes pushed inflation to the price of oil rose Tuesday as the market awaited more oil prices bounced back close to a three-month high. As global economic recovery begins. SABC News, coming soon to Channel 404 on DSTV. All local, all global, all the time. Do you want to learn how to pitch your business idea effectively? Do you want to take your existing business to the next level? Engine Pitch and Polish in association with SAFM is setting the stage for entrepreneurs. If you believe in your business idea and would like some guidance, then we want you to attend our inspiring workshop where you will receive expert training and tips. This free workshop is coming to a town near you. For more info, SMS P-I-T-C-H, your name and city, to 45982. Register online at pitchandpolish.com or phone 011 566 SMS costs 150. Teas and C's apply. 
Uh, excuse me, sir. The masseuse is ready for you. Ah, good man, Jeffrey. Uh, can you get me two tins of beluga and a bottle of that exquisite French champagne? Oh, sorry, sir, but the kitchen is closed. Perhaps some potato crisps? Warm soda? Sorry, I ran out. Well, no. Well, what's the matter, dear? What's wrong? Oh, I had the most horrible nightmare. The hotel didn't have 24-hour room service. Oh, no. Don't let this happen to your customers. Help them sleep comfortably knowing they're staying in a star-graded establishment. Visit tourismgrading.co.za to find out how to get graded. Otherwise, on SAFM. Well, we're talking about why women do not uh, report rape, especially we've we discovered also some men. And Marion Stevens is in the studio with me, Jen Thorpe on the phone, and I've got Lisa. Lisa, is there a way, because I, I really want us to look at solutions we seem to understand and, and we've spoken about why it happens. Do you um, believe that the, 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 there's a solution to this? There certainly are, and I do think we could be trying much harder than we do. I mean, we often make reference to our wonderful legal frameworks, but I mean, the reality is that they are quite poorly implemented in practice. Mm -hmm. And I think if we started there, that could make quite a significant um, improvement. But I mean, I think to go to your question of stigma and people saying, oh, why do you always talk about it? Actually, talking about it is part of destigmatizing, and I think in particular trying to dispel the myths around rape because that would also help to destigmatize. Because I think as long as you keep women believing it's their fault and it's something they did, they're going to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. And of course, if women keep quiet, then more perpetrators do not come to the attention of the criminal justice system, so they think their behavior is just fine, and so they and their friends continue with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I think we, we, need, we, we must find ways to break the, the vicious cycles. And that can be done both, I think, in terms of looking at how we prevent rape from happening in the first place, to also improving the kind of to also improving our responses, and I mean at this point I think our responses are probably better if you go to somewhere specialised like a Tuchizela care centre, but those are not distributed throughout the country. In fact, they may only see about half of all rape survivors. So half of half of women, children, and men must navigate a very erratic system, which will depend on how good the person is who are. Um, who's assisting you. So I think quite clearly we need to make sure that there are services everywhere in the country, whether you live in a rural, peri or urban area, or whether you're living um, in an urban area. And I think the other really big question is the, is the question of what sort of budget government departments are allocating to these, to these services. Mm. So it's all very well to set them up, but if they've got no money, they don't run well. You mentioned to Drizella Care Centre more than once. Are they, are they national? Are they, where are they? Well, they're in different parts of the country. Um, at this point, there is, from what I understand from the NPA, they have 52 plans, but not all of them are fully functional. So at this point, it seems like they're probably, some, the number may be, in a, uh, they may be about 50 in different parts of the country. Mm. But I mean, that's clearly not enough to, to touch sides. Jen, your solutions? I think we also start in, like, we need to start looking at why we want women to report rape. What's the value of that? Mm. 
So in terms of the value of reporting, there's obviously getting accurate statistics from the police on the number of, of rape incidents that happen. This is useful for exactly the reasons that Lisa said. If the problem is underestimated statistics-wise, the budget is going to be underestimated at the Treasury side. So we also, it, it would be useful to have an accurate figure of the real number of rapes in South Africa to have a better budget in dealing with the problem. Mm. The second value is obviously in convicting criminals. If, if rapes are reported, perhaps it can increase the number of sexual offenders that are currently in jail. Just as an example, there were over 60,000 rapes reported last year, and yet at the most recent count, there's only about 18,000 sexual offenders in jail. What this means is that either convictions are not happening, or perpetrators are not caught, or rapes are not reported, and so we get repeat offenders happening out there. But I think the, the main reason, if you are a rape survivor, that you should report rape is it, if it feels right to you. I don't think that reporting is right for every person. I think that in some instances, the trauma of the experience is so great that it is important to heal yourself first. And the most important thing to remember is that you have up to 18 years to report your rape in terms of the law. 18 years? 18 years. Wow, that's that's a pretty good so time to... If, if you're feeling like you're a rape survivor and you're not ready to report now, that doesn't mean that you denied the opportunity. There is an opportunity in the, in the future to report for you. Obviously, the chances of convictions are less in terms of collection of evidence, but you still have a right to report. That's amazing. 18 years. I, I, I didn't know that. Mm. But uh, I read again today on Twitter that somebody saying, um, well, some women will actually receive gifts from their perpetrators or receive money and to, in order to forget about or not to report. And there's a larger amount, especially in rural areas, or when there's a gap of a, an mm. old man with a, a younger woman, where these are these common? I think we can't underestimate the, the impact of economic inequality on violence against women. Many women end up in violent relationships because, or remain in violent relationships rather because they're economically dependent on the perpetrator. And that's a significant thing that, that would be, that should be at the top of government's plans to decrease the violence against women program. Problem, sorry. So I think things like transactional sex are a huge problem in South Africa. We have, and they have those health risks that Marion was describing of increasing young women's um, chances of contracting HIV and other STDs because the older male partners are more likely to have had more sexual partners and be more at risk. So it is a significant concern. Uh, let's speak with Frank Talk from Manga Wong. Hello, Frank Talk. Hi, uh, welcome, Susan Mashad. Thank you so <laughs> um, much. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, let me let me just throw another spanner, and and then I'm doing this because we we've been arguing about rape uh, from my criminal law one to criminal law two in class, uh, because it's a very difficult crime to prove and a bit sensitive, um, especially if one has to excise, um, you know, the so-called date rape. And marital rape. Mm. Um, but one of the most difficult crimes to prove, and if you sit as a trial fact, whether you're a judge or a magistrate, um, it becomes even more difficult because you, you only have two people before you. One, um, you know, uh, alleges that has been raped. The other says, no, but it was not, it was not raped. There was consensual, you know, sexual intercourse. Mm. Now, 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 it is in that regard that you know, in, in the past, you then have to have the hue and cry uh, uh, being used to say, oh, well, uh, 
um, you, you were supposed to have shown immediately thereafter uh, that this was not consensual. Uh, and the judges and the trials of fact would use that because, hey, what else are you left with? Because the other party alleges that it was consensual and the other party alleges that it was not. And what also complicates is at what stage can consent be withdrawn? Mm-hmm. Can you withdraw consent when there has been a sexual intercourse and, and it, it doesn't have to continue? And those are very difficult, uh, you know, um, uh, places for the judges to really find another party wrong or not wrong. Um, um, you know, if one looks at the prominent story that we've been reading about in the news now, um, you, you have a lady, I believe, uh, you know, the jury is out, um, and, and there are certain SMSs and allegations that she then wanted money mm. uh, instead of uh, pressing on with the charges. And we've just also seen in the news um, a gentleman at Devon Woodsville that had served uh, wrongfully so sentenced for about six or seven years mm-hmm. and until the child was big enough to say no, but my mother forced me to say this. Mm-hmm. Now, now this is what sits with the trials of sex. This is what sits with the judges to say, can you send an innocent man to jail or what do you do? Do you leave, um, you know, the, the survivor if indeed in it's... It's not necessarily, you know, easy, especially on date and marital sex. Uh, I mean, marital rape. I mean, those are the most difficult. I, I'd like to know, you know, your guests in the studio, how do they see this? Because it, that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. It's your way against the other person because there's no violence. Thank you uh, so much. People are known, yeah. Frank Talk, thank you so much. If you stay listening, we'll, we'll attempt to answer those questions. And, and uh, I'd like, uh, Jen, please also do stay on the line. And Lisa, it's, it's now time for uh, news updates with, news headlines rather, with Otsile Sauku at 7.30. Thank you so, so much. Um, we had Frank talk on, on the phone um, and who's, who's definitely thrown a spanner in the works. And I know, Jen, you've got to go. So uh, do you want to respond to Frank talk? I think perhaps um, it comes back to our original question about, you know, uh, reporting rape and the length of time and stuff. I think there is one way to collect evidence of a rape, and that's through a forensic examination that um, takes place when you go and report a rape at a healthcare facility. That forensic evidence can be used to prove that a rape has happened. So that's one way. But the second thing is about the doubt that comes in with the length of time between the incident and the report of the rape or perhaps even the court case. These lengths of time do create problems, and I think that the the length of time between when an incident happens and between when someone reports shouldn't be seen to be an indication of the truth or the falsehood of the particular incident. People take time to process different circumstances in their lives. Not Mm -hmm. everybody feels ready to take on the justice system after they have just been violated. And this must be support. We must support women who take a long time to report. It is their right. Um, and the, sec- and the final thing I want to talk about is Frank's suggestion that um, when can consent be withdrawn. And he's right. It is an entirely complicated situation, and mm. at many times there's only two people in the room. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, if you are having sexual, sex with a partner and that partner asks you to stop or indicates to stop or you perceive that the consent is is not what um, Michelle uh, Solomon refers to as um, 
excited consent or vigorous consent or saying yes, 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 more, 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 then stop and ask the person whether everything is all right. And and there is a time when you should be a participant in the act. Mm-hmm. If it is just someone going at it and not respecting the 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 interaction that happens in a sexual encounter, then I think we must be prepared for situations where things are going to get complicated. And I think that we should all be we should all be striving to have sexual relationships that are vigorously consensual, that everybody's enjoying all of the time right the way through to the end. And if that's not happening, consent can be withdrawn at any time. Jen, thank you so much for Thanks joining us. Much, we yes. hope to talk to you again soon. Lisa, do you believe that um, we could have better training as far as the legal system is concerned, uh, have specialized um, uh, police and and judges and magistrates who deal with rape cases? I think specialization is absolutely essential. Rape is different to other crimes. Because it's so clouded with um, misconceptions and stereotypes, I think also because of the kind of trauma that it provokes. And also, I think because it's it is complex. There are these delays in reporting sometimes. And so people who work with rape need to understand both its impact as well as to have been thoroughly disabused of all the myths that surround it. So I think training is crucial. It's not only in relation to what the law does and doesn't say, but it would also be in relation to supporting a complainant and making sure that when one takes statements or is preparing someone for um, trial or is doing the examination. They should do so in a way that is supportive and encouraging and does not encourage further trauma. But, I mean, unfortunately, the reality is that, I mean, we've been to police stations and I've asked police officers, please explain this particular crime. What does it mean? And they'll say, I've never heard of that. There's no such crime. It's not possible. Mm. You know, and I've been to stations where I've asked police officers to please um, explain how one goes about... um, going to court to obtain an, an, a compulsory order testing an alleged risk for HIV. And they're saying that's not possible. You can't do that. Hmm. Whereas that's very clearly in the law. So I think there really is an urgent need for training. We've had specialized police officers come back um, to once again investigate red cases. But I think we still have a problem. that the first person the woman will tell is whoever is standing behind the charge officer. And if they're not informed, and that's someone's first experience of the criminal justice system, she's really not going to want to continue. And Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Marion, you've, you've been listening with me in the studio. Obviously, you have a lot to, to say about, about the kind of interaction we've been having. Well, I think Jen and Lisa have both made really important points about training that's needed, budgets that are needed to be um, stocked up. Um, and the really important suggestion is that for women to know that to report your rape means that we'll have improved statistics, which means that ter- Treasury can award greater allowances for training of police, mm-hmm. for services, for health services with, and, you know, across the continuum. What I also wanted to bring into the picture is the role of the education department in equipping teachers to provide um, children from an early age of comprehensive sexuality education. Sure. So that they actually start knowing how their body works and start trusting their intuition. Don't we have that already? No. We don't. Ha- we have life skills education. Which covers, though. Which may cover it, but it's really essentially up to the skill of the teacher. Mm-hmm. And the curriculum is, is pretty much up. It's not, it's not clear. 
Okay. And our, you know, tra- teachers also need to be trained in talking to. I mean, what do you? How do you teach a five-year-old about their body parts? You know, what language do you use? And that's mm. the kind of detail mm. that the education department is not necessarily provided. Parents also need to know where their responsibilities begin in terms of talking to their children and being happy with their children to be talked to about their body parts and about what feels right and what feels wrong. And a lot of these kinds of sensitivities is not really adequate guidance. But you're opening a can of worms here because most parents, again, because of cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, that's taboo. You don't talk about sex Because talking about your different body parts also means that you need to open up about the sexual act itself. Not necessarily. Not Not necessarily. I mean, you know, with a five-year-old, what you would talk about your body parts, and that's it. It would be, you know, a a conversation when you're dressing, and you have it, you know, once, and then it's over. And that's what happens when you're five. When you're six, you might talk about feelings, about how your body feels. Um... And, you know, you know, pointing out that, you know, that girl is wearing a dress and that boy is wearing trousers and, you know, put on your pants or whatever, whatever. It's very, very short conversations. Mm. The point is it's, it's known that if you don't talk to your child before the age of 10 as a parent about your body parts and about your feelings, you lose that opportunity later on. And where else do they get that information from? And who provides that information? Friends in school. And social media. Mm. And, you know, I think that this, you know, the, the, the solution to why women are not reporting rape or why people aren't reporting rape is not just with safety and security and justice. So we've got an, an educational component which starts at the home possibly mm. and then with the school. And there needs to be some kind of synergy in terms of where information flows are happening and what kind of information and making sure it's accurate, it's not stigmatized. It doesn't infantilize, you know, one's body parts. It calls things what they are, mm-hmm. what they are. And then I also want to move over to the health department. And we heard a little bit about these tutusela centers. We also need nurses to be trained in foren- gathering of forensic evidence. And that needs to be checked quite clearly. Okay. <clears throat> Keep that thought. Our number is 0892102010. And now we're going to take a little break and come back to continue our conversation. Young people in Swane were asked how long have they been looking for work? 2009. Been looking for a job since. Yeah, it's long. It's long. It's like a plane. Hippo 10,000 is here. The city of Swane is creating 10,000 entrepreneurship opportunities for the unemployed youth of Swane. If you are between the ages of 21 and 35, unemployed and living in Swane, you are invited to become one of the 10,000 youths who will be trained through various skills development programs. Come apply. Reason 4. 31st of July and 1st of August 2013 at Oliver Bush Community Hall. Call 012-358-5574. Hola! Chapel 10,000. From humble beginnings to international opera stardom, this August, the world-renowned South African soprano Pretty Yende is back home for a series of concerts. In the August issue of Classic Feel magazine, read a captivating interview with the opera star who graces the magazine's cover for the second time. For more exclusive interviews and the latest arts and culture news, get the August issue of Classic Feel magazine, available now at selected newsagents and bookshops. Does selling excite you and makes your heart beat fast? 
Do you thrive in an environment where you close deals? Then SABC is looking for a person of your caliber to fill the vacancy of an account executive in the Free State and Northern Cape business development. The position is mainly responsible for generating and maximizing sales revenue as well as meeting monthly and annual sales targets. Applicants must have a relevant tertiary qualification in sales and marketing, IMM or AAA, and a minimum of five years in sales, marketing or advertising industry. Kindly send your application, including a comprehensive CV, to Crystalline Simpson, S-I-M-P-S-O-N, at simpsoncp at sabc.co.za. Closing date is the 2nd of August, 2013. Otherwise, on SAFM. Sitting here talking about why women do not report rape. And Marion Stevens is still with me from WISH. Marion, you, you mentioned education, um, which needs to start from a very early age, at least before 10 years old. But when you have missed that opportunity and you... How do you, how, where and how do you get education? You're longer at school, you're an older woman who's working. Where do you educate yourself? Well, it, you know, we're talking about what kind of education. We're talking about education about how your body works, education around um, your sexual and reproductive health. And you might get that from the media, you might get that from the internet, you might get that from the library, your local library, you hopefully will get that from your clinic, your mm-hmm. clinic if, or, your, or your health provider, your, your doctor. Um, but I think that that in itself is an important um, question to be asking because it's quite clear that the sexual and reproductive health of women and men in South Africa is lacking. We don't know enough about how our bodies work. We don't ask the questions about what should I be feeling? Is this normal? Mm-hmm. Um, how should I check my my um, breasts every month? You know, all these kinds of questions. You know, what is my partner's role in my health? What is my role in my partner's health? All these kinds of questions. And I think that we need to be knowing, you know, where we find out information. But we're talking about rape here. So where do we need to find information about rape and about unwanted sex, around sexual harassment, mm-hmm. around bullying, around cyberbullying around a whole lot of you know a whole range of issues and there are a range of sites but I do think that we shouldn't get away from the important role that the Department of Education has to play mm-hmm. in providing for the nation's sexual and reproductive health in providing compre- comprehensive sexuality education perhaps it gets more detailed at, at high school what is the role of the provision of services within the school service which has been um, scaled up now with um, the new school health program which the department is implementing with the Department of Education which has got key areas of the provision of contraception, provision of um, you know HPV, the, the cancer vaccine injection for, for young girls. So I really do think that there's an a important role for health and education to continue to be working together. To continue to be working ge- together and I don't think it's easy. Simon, good good afternoon. How are you, madam? Welcome, Hi. Simon. Uh, welcome, madam. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you. Uh, on my opinion, I, I, I realize that when the lady, they are shy, that they shy to record the, the rap case immediately. It's like, maybe it's the peer pressure from the crowd, from the community. Explain that. Um, 
you, you're saying the, the community, there's peer pressure? From the community. That's why women don't rape? Yeah, they are shy to report the rape just because they think that maybe how do they look like if mm-hmm. some, maybe uh, 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 I'm a big appearing from the, the public that would maybe think that I'm, I've been raped. So it's the stigma that is associated with the rape itself. Yeah. And how do you know this, Simon? I am experienced for, for, for me. So that because maybe you know that such kind of lady who was being raped, totally raped, maybe he's afraid to report the case. Some will say, yes, I'm rumors that that lady who was being raped, but he, he, he didn't report the case. Some of them, they report the case after some law. Okay, so you've heard conversations within your community about this. Yeah. Well, Simon, you must you must participate, and maybe this is an opportunity for you to educate other men in your community yeah. to assist these ladies to 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 report the rape. Yeah, I think so. that's the best way. Yeah. Where are you calling from, Simon? Northern Cape. Thank you so much for your call, Simon. Thank you. Bye, madam. But this is this is, <laughs> madam. This is um, the, the kind of thing we talk about, because when you do not report the rape in communities like that, um, obviously the, your rapist continues to, to abuse you, because they know nothing's going to all abuse other people. Indeed, and I think it's also important to acknowledge that, you know, it's not all stranger danger, and for many survivors who've been abused and raped they know the perpetrator i think what's what the point that jen made jen Thorpe earlier on is that you know one can take a while to one's reports mm-hmm. one's rape but it's really important to be able to walk into your health facility and to be able to seek care and what does that care look like the care to sort yourself out, to be held, to be put yourself together again after a very disempowering, awful experience where your consent, your saying no, was not listened to and not heard. And then there's also the bruises, the scrapes, the cuts, whatever, mm. whatever, whatever. Mm. And this is a very, very, very ongoing issue. I mean, I remember when I was training as a health worker in the 80s and one night having to take out a splintered broomstick out of somebody's vagina. And I spent most of the night doing that. And I hadn't been Mm -hmm. trained to do that. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. I didn't know what pain relief she needed. I didn't know whether, um, you know, this actually, you know, should be under anesthetic. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just, you know, did I have enough light? Um, Then, you know, um, people were making judgments that, you know, she was a little bit drunk anyway, so it didn't really matter mm-hmm. how I treated her. Mm-hmm. And I had lots of questions about that. So for me, I don't, you know, we need better training of health workers so one can be able to have quite clear guidance on how to address these issues. And it shouldn't just be in the Tutuzela centres. It should be in every single clinic that one walks in. In every single police station. Exactly. As exactly, well. Exactly. And, you know, where where do you get the form? You need to get a J88 form from. Do you have to first go to the police station to get that form? What's a J88 form? The J88 form is the form that's filled in by health providers, which is your forensic evidence form. And then you would also, you know, so so I don't think it's quite standardized. You know that you first have to go to the. Do you first have to go to the police station in some settings to get that form? Then go to the healthcare setting, or is it? You know, in some settings you 
it's in the healthcare setting. So, you know, if you're raped in Kailicha and you need to do something, whereas if you're raped in Claremont in Cape Town, it might be different. It's different. It's different. So I think these kinds of bits of information, which clearly, you know, the rapecrisis.mobi website kind of provides information. But when you're sitting at home and you or, or sitting in the classroom or wherever in your workplace, you don't know this information. This is the kind of things that maybe is needed to be provided in, in a when you're in you know grade 11 or grade 12 you know so so you actually understand what your recourse is boys need to know this as well so that they can you know help their partners and their sisters and their mothers and their grandmothers this is this is yeah, it's not like all of us know, like applying for electricity, you need a J88 form yes. just in case yes. you, or you have somebody that you know that's raped or you yourself are raped. Indeed. And what do you need to know in terms of collecting, um, you know, not washing afterwards and, um, you know, collecting clothes and, uh, you know, swabs need to be taken um now, we, that perhaps is like the extreme kind of form of rape, you know, maybe the stranger rape. Um, mm. But you, may, you might also be raped by your father or your brother or your It's always husband. someone you know. Yeah. Always someone you know. I think we need to revisit this conversation. And um, Today is your first day. Today is my you? first day. And, ooh, starting with this is, is, is quite something. But I think it's an important uh, discussion to be had. And I'm glad that we got two males who called the show, which, which shows that, you know, it's not only about us women, but I, I think also is interesting for men. And thank you very much uh, for, for joining us, Marion. And uh, Thanks, do you want to leave us your your website address, please? You can Google us at Wish. Oh, um, Wish. Yeah, and uh, find out about us as a network of um, an NGO dealing with women's sexual and reproductive health and rights. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Shada. Fantastic. Thank you to you, Marion Stevens. And um, it's now time for the children's programme. <laughs> 